0: It is kind of unfair that I have to get up after this worship team. I mean, wow, they are so good. And I, just, I have chills. I have goosebumps over those songs. Just so amazing to be led by them and just walked into the presence of God just celebrating that even when we're on the floor, he lifts us up and gives us peace. So I want to welcome all of you to Rancho United. 99.99% of our church is online. There are a few people here today, which I deeply appreciate. Thank you for joining us. It's, it's fantastic to have you here. Real humans. All right. Love it. Thank you. Um, and, and welcome, just welcome, all of you who have been a part of Rancho for so many years, all of you who are new. We have so many hundreds of new families now joining us locally and across the nation and in some parts of the world. Uh, so we thank you for being a part of it. We do want to wish you a happy 244th birthday. Yes, America is 244 years old, and we are just so grateful for uh, the privilege of being able to live in a country like ours. It is an imperfect country, but the ideals of freedom and justice for all are deeply rooted in our nation. And that is expressed beautifully by the poem The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus. It is on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty, which you see behind me. You may or may not know the, the Statue of Liberty is actually a, um, it, it's a different kind of a statue from what once existed in the city of Rhodes in ancient times, roughly 300 B.C. And, and here's a, a statue of the ancient uh, uh, the Statue of Rhodes. It, it is considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world that doesn't exist anymore. Nobody knows exactly what it looked like, but it was a Greek male figure towering above the port of Rhodes uh, in the Greek empire, and it stood as, as, as a symbol of power. It stood as a symbol of dominance, and it is said that the, the legs actually straddled the port, so ships would go under the legs as a symbol. If you dare enter this area, you are entering a place of power and domination, right? Right? The Statue of Liberty was made to contrast that power and domination. The Statue of Liberty was meant to say, we are welcoming you in peace and in empathy. And so the New Colossus was a poem written on the base of the Statue of Liberty. It goes like this. She, the Statue of Liberty, is not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand, a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. But give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses learning to breathe free. the the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Just such an amazing reminder of the ideals of American freedom and the ideals of American justice for all. We're still working on this as a country. but That's one of the beautiful things about our country is that we can wrestle through our difficulties. We can wrestle through challenging times. We can debate through politics and public discourse, but but we are moving forward as a nation and we have to do that continually and diligently. So God bless America. It is a, a land that has so much opportunity to be a beacon of light for the nation. Uh, nations. It has and it will continue better and better as we go. So happy 4th of July weekend. Hope you enjoyed that. Maybe not with your fireworks celebrations and barbecues in public parks, but maybe with your family and a barbecue in your backyard, you got to enjoy the birthday of our great country. So welcome Rancho United. Uh, We want to encourage you, if you want to be live here uh, anytime, you can go to rancho.tv. The top banner is a way to make your reservations here. For those of you who are brand new, we encourage you to text the word guest, to 379 3795 It's a way to just begin that relationship with you, get to know you a little bit better, see how we can help. If you have any questions, comments, prayer requests, suggestions, uh, you want to write a better sermon than you're hearing today, you can do all that at info at rancho.tv. That's our way to just connect with you about anything. And that's a busy email address. So please uh, feel free to keep in communication through that. That comes in to an army of volunteers, actually one person, and then goes out to people uh, who need to to pay attention to it. Uh, Also, we have our farm is producing produce. Now, I did not think this farm would happen during pandemic and lockdown, stay-at-home period. But one of the best calls I received this whole pandemic period is from Troy Connor. He is the owner of the land around the farm, manages a farm where the farm is, our, our outreach farm is held, and uh, just a great guy, family friend. He called me up and says, Hey, we're still doing the farm. And I was so shocked and surprised by that. He says, We're going to do it a little different. We're going to have a smaller group of kind of core volunteers, and we're going to do it in a socially distanced way. But our farm is producing produce. So far, over 15,000 pounds of produce that goes to the Community Mission of Hope, which we launched in 2009 during the last financial meltdown, and to other pantries as well. And so So this farm is producing produce to help meet the families, the needs of the families uh, here in our own region that are suffering. Um, You may not know this, but on a normal given month for our Community Mission of Hope, they serve 500 families in need. Right now, during this pandemic, they are serving 1,200 families in need every single month with food supplies, case management, uh, mentoring, housing counseling, housing, and of course, farm fresh uh, produce for their family. So normally what we do is the excess farm uh, production that doesn't go to the local pantries gets sold here at church. And 100% of that money goes right back to the community mission of Hope to Help Families in Need. It's a very beautiful program. We are not meeting live. And so again, I thought, well, there's no produce stand. Once again, Troy gave me a call, said, we have a way to do it, it's gonna be digital. So in this week's email, so look for an email this weekend, uh, this week from me, you're gonna see a website that will take you to the farm website where you can order a bag of produce, a box of produce and watermelon. If you live in the Temecula Marietta area, you can actually even have it delivered to your door or you can come and pick it up on site. Uh, all of that money, the goal is $10,000 this season, right to Community Mission of Hope to help families in need, so very, very exciting. Last thing, we'll get to Ephesians 4. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about our budget as we approached the uh, end of our fiscal year, that we were ahead of budget in humanitarian efforts, which is great, this church is always very gener- generous to that, but we were about 1.5% behind on our normal operational budget. Just saying that, and sending out one email, we are on budget, we ended the fiscal year June 30th on budget, so I wanna thank you, the congregation, for your generosity, Every ministry can continue just as it's continuing. Every partnership can be funded. Everything we're doing for every age, internally and externally, with our 51 humanitarian ministries and partners can happen next fiscal year with, with confidence. So thank you for your generosity. If you'd like to set up a giving profile, um, we are starting a brand new fiscal year, so now's a good time to do that. You can do so at rancho.tv giving. All right, that was a lot. Let's get into Ephesians chapter 4. This book of Ephesians is so perfect for what we're dealing with as a country today. Ephesians is, is a book about bringing all ethnicities together in one family of faith with the vision of experiencing perfect unity. Here's the way I would summarize the book of Ephesians. It's a vision of a beautifully diverse church living in perfect unity, shining the light of Christ in a dark world. That's what Ephesians is all about. And so Ephesians for me and the entire course of my ministry and leadership here at Rancho, Ephesians has been the book that's been our north star. And you'll see that as we go through chapter four. Ephesians is the book that is the vision of who we want to be as a church, shining the light of Christ in a dark world because of our unity and our love for one another and our unity and love for the world around us. And we are a diverse church. As a result of looking to the book of Ephesians over so many years, we're a diverse church. We are perfectly diverse in terms of age, socioeconomics, diversity in our leadership, ethnically diverse congregation getting increasingly ethnically diverse, thankfully. We have three languages here in our church, three, three different languages for our different services, and diverse theological backgrounds. And that's something that is very, very unusual for a church. Usually people go to a church because they believe the pastor. Nobody comes to this church because they believe the pastor. Most of the time, they're like, I don't know about that. But kind of kidding, I I hope. But we're united around our our, our message. We're united around the the cause of Christ. And we'll see all of that in the pages of Ephesians chapter 4. Here's where we've gone through so far Ephesians chapter 1 was about our unity as children of God. In Christ, We are brothers and sisters, a part of a family of faith. And yes, brothers and sisters don't always see eye to eye. And yes, brothers and sisters may be even bigger at times, right? No family is a perfect family, including the family of God. We have a perfect heavenly father, but he does not have perfect children in you and me. But we're united as children of God in Christ. In chapter 2... The Apostle Paul says we are united as sinners saved by grace. We are all imperfect, and so we all need equally the grace of God in Jesus Christ. There's nothing we do to earn anything from God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved not by works so that no one should boast. So anybody who's kind of puffing up their chest, yeah, I you know, don't sin as much as you, or I have my doctrine all together and you don't, I, none of that matters. We're all saved by grace through Jesus Christ. That would unite us together. And then we're united as a global community in chapter 3. This beautiful vision of Jew and Gentile, all tribes, tongues, and nations in one church actually celebrating each other, right, as the body of Christ. Amazing vision in chapter 3. And last week, as we started chapter 4, a vision of us being united as the body of Christ. And last week, we talked about the seven ones, these ones that, that, that unite us together, all different parts, but we are one in faith. We are one in Christ. We are one body of Christ. What an amazing vision. And so now, later in chapter 4, there's a, a different kind of vision of unity, not just a vision in terms of who we are, all this is about who we are, but what we do. Ephesians chapter 4 and into chapter 5 is about what we do now as a united but diverse body of Christ. How do we live? And that's what we'll talk about today. It's a vision of a diverse church living as the light of Christ together. And as we see Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, we see three ways that we live out the light of Christ. The first is this. We live out the light of Christ by doing God's work together. The way we say it here almost every week at Rancho is our mission is to advance the cause of Christ. We are a a working church. We don't work to earn anything from God. We work because of God's grace in us. We're like, God, what do you want us to do? We are so excited about the ministry of Jesus. We want that to continue. And so we are a church at work. We're doing the work of God together. Ephesians 4 puts it this way. Now, there are gifts Christ gave to the church. He gave us gifts, skills, and abilities, right? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, I'm convinced that these five gifts are in all of us. We each have at least one of these gifts. So I want to go through those gifts, and as I go through these five gifts that Jesus gave the church, keep in mind that you have at least one of these gifts and that you could use those gifts to do the work of God, right? Here's, here's the first gift. It is the apostle. Now you might think, well the apostles lived 2,000 years ago, there are no apostles today. Well, you could be right technically, but there is apostolic leadership. Apostolic leadership. Apostolic leaders are institutional leaders. They're the ones who, who can lead you know programs and organizations and institutions and they can grow those institutions and, and so when it comes to church leadership these are the strategists who are saying you know what how can we how can we kind of build this institutionally so it really this message and this ministry of Jesus really gets ingrained in the culture around us right those are apostolic leaders then there are the prophetic leaders these are the culture creators prophets in the bible they're the ones who spoke against culture when when there needed to be correction and so there's many Prophetic leaders right now speaking into culture, both what needs to be corrected and how to, how to have a better culture going forward. These are the prophets. So this, may, this might be you. You may not be an institutional leader, but you may really have a heart to call out what needs to be fixed in our culture and to create a new and better culture. Third are the evangelists. These are the proclamational leaders. These are the ones who can't wait to tell people about God and about the love of Christ and about what Jesus did for us and about his grace and about what it means to be a part of a, a thriving family of faith and kind of inviting people to believe in God and inviting people to be a part of the family of faith. These are the evangelists. Could be, could be you. Then there's the pastor. The pastors are the ones who, who care deeply. They're the ones who see a need and go right to the need. They're not the ones who kind of shy away when somebody's hurting. If somebody's hurting, they go right to them and they sit with them and weep with them and mourn with them or celebrate with them. They're the caring, empathetic heart that says, I'm gonna bear this burden with you and we're gonna walk together a road of, of victory and strength and peace. That's the pastor. could be you. Then there's the teacher. The teacher is the educational leader. These are the ones who, who love God's word. They love studying God's word. They love gathering together to study God's word. They love knowing more about God. These are the teachers. So these are the ones who build up the body of Christ so we can do the work of God, right? And each of you has at least one of these. More than likely, you have one as a major, then one maybe as a second spot. And so just think, how can I be a part of the body of Christ to do the work of God? Ephesians four thirteen says it this way. Now, I have to warn you before I read this, this single verse is the driving vision of Rancho Community Church. Somebody told me just last week, isn't your favorite verse in Ephesians four? And I said, well, yeah, it is. It's, it's the verse that, that is the guiding light of Rancho Community Church, and it is stunning. Check this out. We will do God's work together until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is a vision for one church. This is a vision for, vision for the church at Ephesus. This is the vision for Rancho Community Church. Can we live as the full measure of the fullness of Christ? Can we be so united, so celebratory of our, of our diverse gifts and skills and ability, so celebratory of our different parts or different diverse parts, but together? Can we live the full expression of Jesus? Wow, that is such a powerful vision. We can't live the full measure of Jesus if we're all with the same kind of people. Remember what I said last week? It's very easy if you're a finger to wanna to live in a bucket of fingers. Sorry to be gross, but it, that, you know, we like our fingerhood. We like what the finger does and, and we, we measure everything against the finger. Well, Toe, you don't do what I do, right? You do something different and gross. Well, that could very well be true but that toe is as needed as the finger and and so oftentimes the human nature wants to separate into a tribe of sameness that's what our brain wants to do that's what human nature wants to do and i'm telling you it feels so comfortable to be around people that are exactly the same as you or me that's not the body of christ that's a bucket of fingers if we want to be the full measure of jesus christ we've got to embrace our differences Our differences of perspective, of background, of generation, of culture, of ethnicity, of our different skills, talents, and abilities. We've got to embrace it all, accept it all, and say only together and only in our diversity can we be the full measure of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you for Rancho, that's my prayer for Rancho every single day. God, would you give us this one local church the freedom, the ability, the pleasure of living out the full ministry of Jesus in our town and wherever we are in this world? Here's the vision, can we be so united in the midst of our diversity, growing in the knowledge of Christ and striving for maturity and faith that we become the full expression of Jesus in our city? May that be Rancho Community Church. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. It means we don't agree on everything because we're diverse. It doesn't mean we're all from the same background. It doesn't mean we're all from the same culture, economic, demographic, or even theological background. But we celebrate our differences and know only together can we be the full expression of Jesus. So we're the light of Christ, the light of Christ when we are the expression of Christ doing the work of God. Secondly, we're the light of Christ through our maturity. The light of Christ through our maturity. Here's the way it's put in Ephesians 4.14. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. It's a call to be mature, In church. Most of you are laughing. Mature in church. Oxymoron. There is a stunning immaturity in religious culture. Stunning immaturity in religious culture. Now, I'm not saying that to say I have all measure of maturity and wisdom. (laughs) But if you just look at the landscape of religious culture, it is stunningly immature. I'm not gonna get too much detail now because I don't want to get into political, you know, food fights here. But here's the the basic premise of this. Most religious people stick with the religious ideas they were first exposed to for life. We don't do that in any other aspect of life. We don't act like kindergartners in a lot of ways, but when it comes to our religious life, we still hold on to the religious ideas and the religious traditions that we were first exposed to. Whether you were a child or whether you came to faith later in life, wherever we had our first exposure to faith, we are stuck and we never change in general, it is so very difficult to change and to mature in our religion because we're often stuck where we started. So to mature beyond the foundational religious ideas are scary to people, really scary to people. Uh, This just goes to show the absolute impact of children's ministries and youth ministries. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about Rancho's Children's and Youth Ministry is because we understand that we are not going to indoctrinate children in this idea of, you know, God wants you to be good boys and girls so he can be happy with you. God wants you to do the right things so he can be happy with you. And if you don't do the right things, you know, God can kind of mess up your life and life won't go so well. It's just moralistic kind of fear-based religion. We are not indoctrinating children in moralistic fear-based religion. I mean, we are pouring through every bit of curriculum and teaching to make sure our kids understand that God is a father for them, who loves them no matter what they do. And there is this exciting vision to live a life well-lived, honoring God and benefiting others. We try to make sure our kids are raised in a a wonderfully embracing, loving environment and not just trapped in a religious mindset. So proud. Because for, for those who are raised in church as children and youth, those ideas stick for life. It could be 30 years later where they hear an idea about a passage of Scripture that doesn't meet what they were raised in youth group, and it's like, ah, immediately. It's, oh, it's wrong, and it's not the truth, and it's heresy. That happens all the time. It's normal. It's incredibly immature. That's why the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, you know, can we move beyond elementary things? And then it lists what those elementary things are can we stop I mean, at some point talking about kind of repentance from sin? I mean, t- stop doing bad things. That's a very kindergarten thing. Stop doing bad things. See the rules on the wall? Watch the rules. Don't do those bad things. We do that when we're young. Yet there's actual adults sitting in church. We want to hear the list of sins and call to repentance. Like, Okay. Hebrews 6 says that's an elementary thing. It's needed when perhaps we're very young so we don't destroy our lives or destroy others. But can we move on? Hebrews says, can we also move on from kind of religious traditions and ceremonies? Can we stop talking about how to do this right, what days to do that right, whether it's you know, certain holidays or how to do church or how to and festivals and all these little nitpicky things about religious rites and rituals. Can we move on from that? It's so hard because the, these things are ingrained when we're young. Where we start religiously is where we end and oftentimes it looks like preschool. I'm sorry, it does. And we experience it all the time, especially around here because we're a learning community. People get freaked out all the time. You know, at different ideas, don't even mention the idea. I can't handle it. Can we be mature? Can we move beyond elementary rules and traditions and commandments? Can we move beyond elementary kind of transactionalism? You just do this for God and God will do this for you. It's all very, you know, transactional. So I do this, God does that. I do this, God does that. I do this, God rewards. I do this, God punishes. I mean, it's, come on. Can we move beyond elementary repentance and sin management, managing other people's sins or managing our sins? Can we mature from that? Can we move on to the maturity of love? to the maturity of love, where Jesus says, you know what? If, if you embrace God's love, love God, love others, all the commandments, all the prophets are taken care of because that's what God cares about. He cares about loving one another. So you look at all the commandments. They're not rules and regulations that will make God happy with us because God's not an insecure, petulant king. You must make me happy. He's so insecure, he has to be made happy by us. Are you kidding me? That's the height of immaturity. God's fine. God's fine. If we fail, God's not, ooh, I must punish you now because I'm so upset. Come on. God says, I want you to experience my love. And then I want you to love others because that's how the world thrives. And if we have to manage that by every nitpicky, commandment, and jot and tittle, we're lost. It's kindergarten. How about we grow up to the maturity of love, of love. But people typically don't move from the religious place they started. If I might illustrate, it would almost be like, you know, if you go to work and your supervisor says, uh, hey, uh, you know, what's the plan for that new product rollout? And you say, look, here's my plan. Here it is, the sunshine and rainbows. Huh? Well, can we move on from the cartoon drawing? And can we say, hey, here's a well thought out plan. I've, I've analyzed it. I've studied. I've put it all together. I've spreadsheet. I've, I've dealt with this in a mature way. And here's the plan. Can't we do that in our walk with God? Or do we have to just stick to this all the time? Or it'd be like, you know, you're brainstorming budget in a boardroom, right? You're in a boardroom and people are going over the budget and the forecast and all that stuff. And you raise your hand and go, um, can I go potty? It's like, what are you talking about? Can you go potty? You're an adult. You know, you go to the bathroom before the meeting, right? We don't have to ask permission. Pastor, what's sin? What's, uh, ugh. it's so immature. Can we move on to maturity? Because maturity brings unity, Right. Maturity brings unity. So we're not sizing up each other's behaviors and doctrines and thought police and moral police. Like, hey, we're on a journey together to embrace God's love and to love the world, to advance the cause of Christ, to make this world a little more like heaven. Let's do that. Let's focus on that. That's the maturity that the word of God calls us to. And you can see that detailed in in the book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is moving on from the elementary onto maturity. But here's the reality. Religious culture... Vehemently, This is typical, right? Not everybody. Religious culture vehemently, close-mindedly, and often rudely defends the religious ideas of their youth as truth, never growing to maturity. And believe me, I had to have it come to Jesus in my early 20s, I was just kind of sucking in all the things from my youth experience and just pouring it out to my youth group. I was a youth pastor way too young, like 17 or 18. It was ridiculous. And I was, I, was, I was kind of sucking in all this stuff from my experience. A lot of it was good, well-meaning people. Some of it wasn't. And just pouring it out because that's just what you do. You take it in, you pour it out, you don't move on from where you started. And I won't detail this. I don't have time. But, but when I realized that this whole thing I was doing, this whole system, just wasn't, it didn't feel right. And then I came to the conclusion it wasn't right. And we're just being indoctrinated and then indoctrinating others, but not really leading people toward maturity. Wow. So instead, instead of immaturity, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. Speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body of the church. Doesn't that sound great? We're going to speak the truth. We're not going to shy away from truth. We're not going to claim to be the only sole owner of truth. We're going to be humble about that. We're actually going to say truth is not a series of propositions. Truth is actually a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we say, you know, I have the truth or I know the truth, we're saying we know and follow Jesus, right? That's a better way of looking at truth. So we're going to speak the truth, but we're going to do it in a loving way. Always a loving way. And what's the real goal of maturity? To become more and more like Christ. More and more like Christ. Christ. The second value of Rancho after revealing God's transforming grace is to grow together into the likeness of Christ. All of it comes from Ephesians. I just just steal Ephesians, write the mission statement and values of of Rancho Church, right? Becoming more and more like Jesus. And then third, there's this great vision of wholesome living. Wholesome living. Not, not Not to just do the work of God and not to do that work of God together, but to also pay close attention, as Ephesians says, to pay close attention to our life, to to know that the way we live our life matters, and the way we live our life can honor God or not, the way we live our life can help others or not, and we have to examine how we live that life together as a family of faith. Wholesome living. Now, that word wholesome is an old-timey word, and I wrestled with whether to even use the word because I don't want young people to go, who's the old man who uses the word wholesome? Well, that's me, but it's a really cool word, right? It's a word that means a decent, moral, and trustworthy kindness, promoting the well-being of others and promoting the well-being of the world around us. That's wholesome living. And that's the life of somebody that is following Jesus, striving to become more and more like Jesus. That life becomes more wholesome over time. And and, and that's a life that honors God and benefits others. It's a wonderful, wonderful vision of a life well-lived. Ephesians 4 starts detailing that life. Paul says, with the Lord's authority, and when Paul says, I speak on behalf of the Lord, that's, that's time to really pay attention. Uh, Paul says, sometimes I'm just speaking on behalf of me, and that's okay. That's kind of cool. But then when he says, I speak with the Lord's authority, really pay attention. This is, this is a core conviction. This is the Spirit of God moving through the Apostle Paul in a powerful way. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. For they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Paul's drawing a contrast between how the world lives and how the church should live. The world is not a wholesome world. The church should live a wholesome life because we follow Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 4 goes on to say, They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And then later in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. There's like this whole secret world out there in the heart of man that is so corrupt and so gross, I can't even talk about it. But we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we're going to talk about it in, in, in rated PG terms. So for those of you, it's Fourth of July weekend. You might have some kids around. You're going to be okay. Um, I'm going to say this in PG terms, I promise. The life around the church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, Roman Empire, this bustling city of, of commerce, all tribes, tongues, and nations pouring into the city, bringing all kinds of stuff, all kinds of money, all kinds of pleasure in this city within a hedonistic Roman Empire. Hedonism... Was, was the worldview of the Roman Empire. Like explicitly, this is who we are in the Roman Empire. This is the definition of hedonism. It's the premise or worldview or school of thought that seeking individual pleasure and comfort are the only priorities of well-being. That's hedonism, formally adopted by the Roman Empire. This is a love of self, a love of pleasure, a love of comfort, and a love of money. In short, you could say it's about prosperity, pleasure, and power. Prosperity, pleasure, and power. And the idea in the Roman culture was whatever it takes for me to be prosperous, I'm going to do it. Whatever it takes for me to, to, to be pleasured, I will do it. Whatever it takes for me to have power, I will do it. That's the Roman Empire. That's the empire within which Jesus was born in Palestine. That's the empire within which the church began to spread throughout Asia Minor in particular, over time going west, north, east, and south. Within a hedonistic culture. To summarize the hedonism of Rome, I'll say this, again, PG language. The highest goal in the Roman Empire was for men to achieve more and more power by any means necessary. Financial corruption, using people, and sex. Whatever it took for men to elevate their prominence and power, that was hedonism in the Roman Empire. Women were treated little more than property. You could be a freeborn woman in the Roman Empire. You could be a citizen, but you had no voice. You had no vote. And if you wanted to lead, you could only lead in the religious circles. Men, it was celebrated, could indulge in just about every gluttonous pleasure imaginable without cultural stigma. In fact, it was celebrated. Gluttony was celebrated. Multiple partners, no regard to gender, no regard to age sexually, no regard to the number of partners, orgies, drunkenness, gluttonous of food, gluttonous of alcohol celebrated in the Roman Empire. Sex slavery was accepted, even celebrated, even with children. There was an absolute celebration of violence. They celebrated the genocide of other tribes. Think of the gladiators. Their entertainment was bloody, violent, and death. They devalued any life that wasn't Roman and that wasn't male. That's hedonism. That's the Roman culture in which this church was planted. And so the apostle Paul says, can we just do a little better than that? Can we do better than than this hedonism that devalues people, mistreats people? Can we do better than that? Ephesians 4.24, but you put on a new nature created to be like God, wow we are created to be like God. We can live as a light in the dark world. We can live like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, some of you will think, I don't think so. I cannot live like God. And you might be right. I mean, you've heard it said, well, nobody's perfect. And sometimes we say, well, nobody's perfect when we're trying to, to low-key our own failures. Eh, nobody's perfect, right? So I'm going to kind of keep not striving for perfection because nobody's perfect. I think a better way to say it is, is, yes, in humility, I have not attained perfection. I certainly have not attained perfection. But God has given us everything we need to be as holy as Jesus, to be as right and as good as Jesus, to be a wholesome person. We have everything we need. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have the model of Jesus. We have each other. We can strive to be more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus we can strive to live a life that is different from the darkness of the world and then the apostle paul just gives a little bit of a list of what he means by living a life that is holy and it's a pretty simple list i'm sure you'll nod your head at this whole list here it is tell the truth don't be controlled by anger don't steal give generously speak kindly with encouragement might look at that and say, all right, yeah, that's a great list, right? A lot of these are even, you see, in some of the Old Testament commandments, right? This is the heart of God in terms of how we treat people. Keep in mind, all of it's about how we treat people. It has nothing to do with making God happy or sad personally with us, making him, you know, smile at us or judge us. Nothing to do with that. God is fine. It's about how we treat each other. Speak the truth to each other. Don't rage over each other. Don't steal from each other. Give generously to each other. Speak kindly to each other. It's all about how we treat people, which is why love is what binds all this together, right? Here's a good summary in Ephesians 4.31. If you just want a simple, beautiful expression of a wholesome life, live for the glory of God and the benefit of others, look to Ephesians 4.31.32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior, instead, here's the beautiful things to put on, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's all about how we treat each other. Treat each other well. Treat each other kindly. Forgive one another. It Goes on in Ephesians 5, verse one and two, it says, imitate God, now that's a high bar, but why not? We have what we need to do this. Imitate God therefore in everything you do because you're his dear children. To know God's love, we're his dear children. And so live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. There it is again, follow Christ, follow his example. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When Jesus loved, when Jesus gave his life to take the sin, the shame, the corruption of the world upon himself, and then to rise again from the dead in victory, the victory of love, that pleased God because God knows through Jesus, his son, there will be a continuing ministry of Jesus through the body of Christ, through the church of Christ to keep on loving people the way God loves us. And if we keep loving people the way God loves us and kind and tenderhearted and following the example of Jesus Christ, heaven will emerge on earth. That's the vision here. Heaven will emerge on earth through the ministry of Jesus, through the Spirit of God in us, to make this world more like heaven. So he starts with that list of how we treat each other. Then he gets into the deep weeds. And I have got eight minutes to talk about the deep weeds of of Ephesians chapter five. He talks about sex and money. Now, keep in mind, the Apostle Paul is saying how we live in terms of treating people well. And then he gives the examples of sex and money. Ephesians 5.3. And again, we're going to keep this PG. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Paul is drawing a contrast between the hedonism of the Roman Empire. It is disgusting how they treat each other, particularly regarding sex and money. These could be the most destructive forces on earth. And so he spends time talking specifically about sex and money and how we treat each other. How we handle sex and money says so much about how we value one another. So in the Roman Empire, as we have discussed, the abuse and oppression of people through sex and greed was not only sanctioned by law, it was celebrated culturally. Now things are certainly different today in America. We are not the hedonistic culture of Rome, not even close by a long shot. Does that mean American culture is pristine regarding sex and money? The answer is what? No. All right. No. We've got a long way to go. But the world is so much better than it was under Roman hedonism, so much better. Our morality, both in terms of sex and greed, are so much better, uh, particularly in the West. There's some spots in the world that are still kind of this, you know, hedonistic hedonistic or very oppressive cultures, but we have a lot to celebrate. There is, there is absolutely not a sanction of abuse and oppression of people in our culture regarding sex and greed. We don't have this hedonistic drive that, that the number one celebrated value is men having more and more power. In fact, the conversations in our culture today are about how we align our culture more with the compassion and empathy of God through Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of things going on, but it doesn't mean we are, we are perfect as a culture, particularly regarding sex. Now, in the scripture, a vision for sex and sexuality is given that is beautiful. That humanizes us. Keep in mind, sex in the animal kingdom is all instinctual. It's just the instinct of reproduction, right? And sexual drive, sexual uh, instinct comes in handy for reproduction, and we experience that in, in the human race as well. But there's something additional about the human race that is so beautiful. We are made in the image of God, which means even our sexuality can be expressed in the image of God, which is to be loving and to be tender and to be kind. This beautiful vision of oneness through sexuality expressed in Genesis chapter 2. The man, when he saw his wife, exclaimed, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. A man is joined to his wife and the two are united into one flesh. Now the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Here's a beautiful picture of sexuality that begins with a spiritual covenantal union. We are one. We're no longer individuals, husband and wife. We are one, so we embrace that spiritual union of marriage. And then the physical expression of that is the union of bodies through sexuality. Now, some of you young people, Might think, well, there's an old timey, that's as old timey as as the word wholesome. And I get it. Especially when we're young, but sadly this goes to when we're older as well sometimes. Uh, There's casual sex and hookup culture and all these apps that just don't help with God's vision for sexuality. But here's what I want to be very clear about we do not need to police the sexual morality of the world around us. In fact, Paul made it very clear in Corinthians that it is not our business to manage the behavior of the world. Our business is to talk about us. And so the Christian church, following Jesus, how can we have this vision of sexuality that is truly human, right? Truly human. That is not just about fulfilling a desire, pursuing pleasure, or some instinct like the animals. That's not a pretty picture. We can be human, which means we have this great gift of sexuality that can be expressed in the covenantal bond of marriage. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful thing that is. It's almost like this. Sex is a gift of God and can be used for good, can be used for bad. So sex and money, we'll put both these in the same category. Sex and money are beautiful gifts of God, but if they're untamed, if they're unharnessed, if they're just out to to just go for it, we're going to cause so much destruction in the world, like water flooding a city. Water is very beautiful. It is very powerful. It is life-giving literally, but it can destroy a city if not properly uh, uh, channeled, right? But water, properly channeled, can be this amazingly beautiful source of power for the world. That is true of sexuality, and that is true of money. Beautiful gifts that God gave us. We could use it for abuse, for manipulation. We could use it for personal pleasure and satisfaction. Or we can use this gift of sexuality to experience and express a oneness of souls in the context of marriage. Same thing is true of money. Same thing is true of money. Ephesians 5.5 says this. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. Some questions, not just about our sexuality, but about our money. Are we greedy? Do we cheat people to get more money? Whether we're a business owner or whether we're you know, an employee, do we treat and cheat and manipulate and fudge to get more money for us? Do we cheat on our taxes to keep more money? Do we use all of our money for our needs and our security and our future? That's greediness. So both when it comes to sexuality and money, how can we use these things to bring value to the world around us? Value to the world around us. I'll close with this passage. For once you were full of darkness... But now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. May we do what is good and right and true doing the work of God together, growing in Christ like maturity together, and living a wholesome life together. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday.